Welcome to episode 10 of the Rochester Club 476 podcast. I'm your host, Jake Marshan, and this show includes speeches given by me and my fellow Toastmasters at our club in Rochester, New York. We meet every two weeks, and this episode is from our meeting on September 1st, 2022. If you're not a member of Toastmasters, I hope this podcast helps you see the value that these clubs bring. To put it simply, Toastmasters clubs are individual groups that come together to assist each other with public speaking. Some people do it to help them in their career, and some do it for personal reasons. And Toastmasters is international with over 15,000 clubs in 149 different countries. Anyways, I'm going to get right to the episode. If you want to learn more, you can listen to the intro episode of this podcast or go to the show notes for a direct link to the Toastmasters website to find a club that's local to you. All three speakers featured on, a, on this episode happen to have four years as Toastmasters. Get ready for some high-level speeches from some of our club's best. First up, we have Mr. Michael Colby. This is the first time Michael has performed this speech, and the title of this speech is Learning to Lead. So here's Michael Colby with Learning to Lead. Thank you, Madam Toastmaster, fellow Toastmasters, and always it's good to see guests here. Welcome. So I would argue there are two types of leaders in this world from a simplistic standpoint. You have the natural-born leaders, then you have those who learn how to lead. The natural-born leaders, we all know who they are. I think those who lead by example. We think of you know the captain of the teams growing up. Think Wayne Gretzky, right? Skating to where the puck is going to be. I mean, can't argue with that. Then you have the majority of us who are going through life, trials and errors, getting those calluses of character until that hard work little luck and time pays off, a position opens up that we can step into, people can follow behind us. Now, I've never looked at myself as a leader. I've never been in a position to lead over, over most of my life. But of course, I'm listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos of leaders in my industry, and I watch them, and they, it's the old, you know, I started with a small team of a financial advising firm, grew it to 15 over time, you know, walked uphill both ways. We've all heard the story. And I think to myself, I, I can maybe do that with some hard work and some time. But then again, I've never been in that leadership role. So it's hard to really make it tangible. Now, it does become slightly more tangible that in my line of work, I have access to people who are in those leadership roles who do own companies where I can ask them candidly, hey, Sean, you own a business for a while. What's the hardest thing that you've been met with? And it's almost unanimous. They come back and say, Mike, as soon as I've reached that cruising altitude of understanding, it's always managing people. So I think leadership, it starts and ends with people. Now, I played the nepotism card five years ago, got me home here to work with my father. I like the line of work I'm in, but we're not really a team. Because you see, as my understanding continues to rise, his participation continues to dwindle. So it's like we keep kind of missing each other. And there's not a lot of camaraderie. So I've had to self-motivate. And I kind of feel like a fraud in this club in a sense. It's been three and a half years here. I'm in the leadership development pathway, but I'm really just leading and developing myself until recently. We've had some good markets in the aggregate uh, the last five years with me being on the team. We have some more bandwidth where we need some help. 
So we've recently made our first hire by a woman named Jessica, and we're lucky to have her 15-year veteran. So in the time I have here tonight, I want to tell you about one of our early projects that we tackled together, kind of the trials and tribulations of that, what I've learned, and then the new trajectory, my understanding, to be a good leader. So Jessica's new on the team. The first task we discussed is just quite simple. Let's get you introduced to the clients. I don't want clients calling and having a stranger on the other side of the phone. So how do you want to present yourself via a handwritten letter, email, whatever? We decided to skip the handwritten notes, print it out, mail them out of how she wanted to present herself to the clients. Next step was to put a face with that voice and introduce her. So I sat down with her, I told her, Jessica, we're gonna introduce you to the clients they come in. We're responsible for you know, ballpark 260 households. Some of those live here in the Rochester, some are throughout the country. We do on average, let's call about 10 meetings a month. So I said, we'll do 10 meetings this month, we'll get you in there. And I remember it was kind of met with some trepidation. She wasn't super excited about it, but I thought, well, look, I like to think I present better in person than you know, via email, so that's ubiquitous. It'll work the same for you, we'll make it happen. So the clients started coming in, and it was just kind of clunky, it was cumbersome. And by the end of the first month in the 10 client meeting, she kind of pulled me aside and said, Michael, this just isn't working. It's not efficient. I've done this before. Our meetings are going double the time. It's cutting into things that you could be working on myself. It's disrupting my day. And that's when it really dawned on me that my first time leading or first task that I was trying to delegate and work with, that I left the most important part out. And I and, and it's just listening to her and getting feedback. And I know it, it might sound superfluous in the grand scheme of things. It's not, you know, big margin for error here. So what? You know, you, you readjusted. You know, there's not shrapnel all over the office here. But I would argue that it is a big deal in the sense that as I continue to lean into this leadership role with the shoulders of my father I'm standing on looking to continue to grow this and inevitably hiring more individuals down the line that I, I've learned a pretty important lesson early on and that's to, to lead with, with listening because one, it's not only going to increase your efficiency and help cut a lot of the time that was not needed in that set example that we didn't have to waste, make it more efficient but then I think it makes the team members that you're working with, trying to lead feel more seen more heard and I think that inevitably is going to gain more momentum as you continue to build towards something. So while I'm still very green and early in my leadership journey, while I feel that my pathway there's a little more truth to it now here at Toastmasters that I can actually turn around and put it into direct practice, but I think throughout the tenure of being a leader and work, working through this pathway that going forward the best way to lead and learn to lead is to start with listening and I'm just master nice job Michael thank you for the great speech on leadership and for being willing to share it on the podcast next up we have Charlie Oster Charlie has been a member of Toastmasters for four years now and this will be his first time giving this speech. The title of this speech is The Essential Guide to Party Planning. So now, here's Charlie Oster with The Essential Guide to Party Planning.
Thank you, Madam Toastmaster. Fellow Toastmasters and most welcome guests, party planning was not my thing. I don't enjoy it. Invitations and interior decoration and maintaining guest lists and thinking about ambiance, these are not things that I have space in my brain for. But Toastmasters forced me to do it anyway. <laughs> and now I'm an expert. My assignment was to manage a project start to finish. So the project that I chose was to plan and execute the club's 75th anniversary party. I learned five key things from that process that I'm going to share with you. And if you take these into account, then you too might be an expert party planner someday. Number one, lead and delegate. The first part's obvious. The second part was harder for me. I am not a great delegator. It's just not in my nature. I'm a bit of a control freak as the previous leadership evaluation assignment and pathways showed me. Thank you, Toastmasters, again for that. <laughs> Any other tyrants out there? <laughs> wow. But this assignment forced me to do it. And what I found is that the people that were part of the committee did an absolutely outstanding job. I was worried for nothing. We had a great crew of people planning this party. I was able to rely on them, and they did what I asked them to do. Michael Lasik back there, guy's a rock star. Took care of all the invitations, all the PR, the website, all the social media, did it all, start to finish. Frank DeBellis, guy was just our, our spirit the whole way through. He was in charge of the program, so he put the program together. He did other things too. Like that wonderful sign that we had when we walked in. It was Frank. And then you got Cindy and Christine. Their assignment was the venue and the vendors. The venue and the food was better than most of the weddings I've been to. <laughs> they crushed it. They did such a good job. So make sure you delegate. Because if I'd been responsible for all that stuff, it would have been a mess. Successful party planner requires delegation. Number two, use technology. Technology is your friend. We kept the running email chain. We would have Zoom meetings every few weeks. I used Excel as my project management organization tool. There's a lot of platforms out there that you can use for managing projects. That's the one that worked for me to manage things like headcounts, budgets, action items. So use technology. Number three, consult the experts. I wish I had done this a little earlier in the process, but eventually I got around to it and I found it perhaps the most enlightening part of the whole experience. I started talking to former members. I talked to members who've been around for a while. I talked to my mentor. They helped me assemble this really cool table full of memorabilia from the last 60, 70 years. It was fascinating. 
and it gave people something to talk about and provide a nice centerpiece for the event. They also helped with a dozen other things. But consult the experts. Number four, stay water. Who here knows what that means? Be flexible, right? All throughout the planning process. You know that when we started, we thought that there might be 70 guests. There ended up being about 30. Had I consulted with the experts sooner, I would have known that 30 is actually a pretty reasonable number. It's a good turnout. But we needed to be flexible with things like headcount. The budget also changed, as did our financing, because the headcounts changed, and we got a number of donations. That's why we were able to do a lot of the cool things that we did. Even on the day of the event, it was supposed to start at 6 o'clock. It didn't start until 6.15. People needed a little bit of time to settle. So even on the day of, had to be a little bit flexible. So stay water. Don't be too rigid. Lastly, the most important rule of party planning, it's party. Have fun. And Toastmaster. Nice work, Charlie, and thank you for sharing this speech with us on the podcast. You did a wonderful job with planning our club's 75th anniversary party, so thank you for that and also for the sharing these tips with us. Next up, we have a returning speaker, Mr. Sean Flynn. Sean has been a member of Toastmasters for four years now, and this was his first time giving the speech. The title of his speech is No Tomatoes, No Worries. In the speech, Sean discusses mentoring that he did with a newer member of our club who has also been featured on this podcast, Suman Shrestha. As a little insight, all new members of our club are assigned a mentor, and everyone handles this mentor role a bit differently. Without further ado, here's Sean Flynn with No Tomatoes, No Worries. My wife has a ton of plants kind of dotted around the household, and she cares for these plants. She waters them, takes care of them, feeds them, gets some sunlight, and I don't care about the plants. I, I don't care for the plants at all. They're not in my day. If the plants lived or die, it, it, it just it wouldn't change my mood. Sometimes the plants get in the way of my life, and I push them away. <laughs> One day I, I came home and I looked at the tomato plant and the stalks were so green and tall and I had not been paying attention to it at all. I was like, Sam, it's huge. The tomatoes, it's huge. And she said, yeah, it's, it's okay, but no tomatoes yet. How many times do we think about ourselves and we're so focused, feeding ourselves, watering, growing, but because we're the ones doing it, we don't catch those incremental changes. We don't see the growth ourselves sometimes. But then we see another person that hasn't seen us in a while, they say, oh my gosh, you've changed, you've progressed. As a part of Toastmasters, one of my roles is that I'm a mentor. 
my mentee, Suman. And Suman has progressed tremendously. Any outsider who's seen his first speech and his most recent speech know that Suman has made tremendous strides in his speaking skills. But Suman is hard on himself. He still wants to improve, and he really focuses on what his weaknesses are. So yesterday, we went out, and we wanted to tackle a couple of those things that he was still working on. Suman wanted to focus on three things. The first was enunciation. He said, sometimes when I speak, I speak so fast, I get a little bit nervous, my words slur together, and because of my accent, you can't understand. Second thing he wanted to work on was volume. He says, I'm getting better, but I'm still a little too quiet. And the third thing, which he felt he had made actually some pretty significant progress on already, was just in general confidence. Simon says, I know a lot of people in the room now. I'm a lot more confident. Still something I can work on. So I said, okay. I said, come on, let's get out of the kitchen. Let's go out to this field near my apartment. And like a mad scientist, I, I didn't tell Simon what the activity is going to be. You know, I've got all these potions different colors and smells, but he doesn't know what they do, only I do. So we got off the field, I said, Simon, all right, let's work. First, I want you to take this book, I want you to read the first paragraph. And Simon did so, he just opened up his book of presidents, started reading about John Adams. I said, great, stop. Simon, now what I want you to do is read that same paragraph, but this time, I want you to over-enunciate every word. Every syllable, <laughs> hit it, ha hit every single syllable, and take as much time as you need. And here's what happened. Simon read that same paragraph, took a lot of time, over-enunciated, but it didn't sound exaggerated. In fact, it sounded very, very clear. And we both agreed to that. The next thing that we worked on was volume. So I said, Simon, please tell me about a time that, in your childhood, Childhood memory, something that you just, was, uh, something you remember from your early life. He said, okay. And he began to tell me a story about how his friends and him would go to a waterfall. And they took a bike and it was a really fun time. I said, great job, Simon. I want you to give me that same story again. But this time, Simon, I'm going to be all the way... Over, you, know, you stay there, Simon. Okay, Simon, go ahead and give me that speech again. Uh, what? Huh? Yeah, okay, great, great. Okay, stay at that level. Stay at that level. And I'm gonna keep getting closer. And eventually, I was again face to face with Simon, but he was still speaking at a level that we could hear him if we were all at Toastmasters. And Simon made a comment after that. He said, you know, if I speak like that again, Frank's going to hear me next time. <laughs> he said he will. The next thing we tackled was confidence. Again, Simon's already made trend strides here. But I said, Simon, one thing I did notice sometimes when you speak, I see this. Crossed legs. Sometimes I'll see this. Crossed arms. What I want you to do is tell me about a moment when you're proud. <clears throat> Something that you've accomplished that you're proud of. Tell me about that, and I want you to cross your legs, I want you to cross your arms, and I want to keep your head down. 
and he told me about a time that he had helped his parents purchase a house. And he had helped them through that pro process, and it was a really proud moment for him. I said, okay, Simon, give me that same speech, that same little, little tidbit, but this time I want you to keep your legs outstretched, I want you to keep your chest high, your head as high as you can, and then give me very broad gestures, as broad as you can, take up as much space as you can. And what I was trying to show Simon was psychologically, and I explained it afterward, is that when you do these things, when you open yourself up, you're telling your brain that you are very comfortable. You're taking a ton of space. When we're uncomfortable, we reduce the amount of space that we use. We're uncomfortable, we don't wanna make anything new. But when we're comfortable, we have wide, wide movements. After we had gone through these exercises, we went back to the kitchen and I took a little page out of the evaluator of evaluators. If I'm trying to coach Simon, I've got to evaluate myself. So I asked him, what tool do you think worked the best? What tool do you think you might need additional help with? He said, enunciation was the best tool. He said, I know I can use that. The tool that he thought you could need more tools with would be the uh, volume. He said, I still need volume. And that's a very good check for me because if I'm gonna to learn to be a better coach, I have to understand what tools I need that I have, but also I can't know everything. There are certain things that I should research, I should learn more, so now in the future, I can look to say, hey, let's find other things I can improve on volume to bring to Simon, to bring to future mentees that I have. If you don't have any tomatoes yet, don't worry. You've got plenty of time to grow. You've got plenty of time to improve. Talk to your mentor. Find tools, and you'll wind up being an amazing, accomplished speaker, just like Simone. Great job, Sean. Some wonderful lessons on how to become a better speaker. Thank you for sharing yet another speech with us on the podcast. Well, there you go. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed hearing those speeches from Michael, Charlie, and Sean. And thank you all again for sharing your speeches with us. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, the best ways to support is to either go ahead and leave a review where you are listening or share the podcast with someone who would enjoy as well. Also, if you'd like to give some feedback to any of the speakers, I will leave my email in the show notes and I'll make sure to forward your message on to them. If you're interested in learning more about Toastmasters, just head to toastmasters.org. I will leave a direct link in the show notes for you. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you next time on the Rochester Club 476 podcast.